This week on The Real Pink Podcast, we are having real discussions about metastatic breast cancer. We'll be welcoming researchers, advocates, and people living with metastatic breast cancer to share their stories, their experiences, and their words of encouragement. Everyone can make a difference in the life of someone living with this disease by donating to Breakthrough Research and urging elected officials in Washington, D.C. to pass pending legislation that would directly help this community. Details and how you can turn awareness into action are in today's podcast description. On the show today, we have the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Ben Park. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Adam. Well, I'm excited to talk with you and about the, the work that you're doing. So let's start off. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your involvement in the breast cancer community. So I'm a breast cancer, what we call physician scientist, meaning I actually see patients still and I run a research lab and I run some other uh, research kind of programs within the cancer center here at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. I am a passionate advocate, researcher, doctor about all things breast cancer. Uh, and I've really made it my life's mission to help people with breast cancer and, and try to cure this disease. And I know that may sound lofty to some people, but I, I figure someone's got to do it. And yeah. I really want us to move the needle forward when it comes to treating breast cancer patients. I love that. I love that. And I, and I agree. I mean, it, well, let, let's treat it like it's achievable and let's passionately go after it. So, and so talk a little bit about your passion for your work uh, with NBC and how did you decide to start doing research related to NBC? When you think about what actually kills breast cancer patients, it's metastatic breast cancer. And I think what well, we all recognize is that we tell patients that if you have early stage disease, it's curable. It's not always curable, but the earlier stage, the higher the likelihood of cure. And then if it doesn't get cured, that means it comes back as metastatic disease. And that's where our goals of therapy really have shifted now to trying to treat the disease. And in some cases, believe it or not, Adam, it has become what insulin has done for diabetes. We can't cure it, but we can actually treat people and more and more patients with metastatic disease are dying with their disease rather than from it. Wow. But we'd still like to cure it for obvious reasons. And so that really is the goal of my research lab and many research labs across the country is, is to find cures for every patient with breast cancer. Wow. Yeah, I love that. And I'm glad that you made that analogy uh, that it's kind of, it can in some cases become like insulin um, because that's, I think, something that, that a lot of people really don't fully understand. So, right. I know this has been a big year uh, for new MBC treatments that are approved. Can you talk about some of the recent advancements and are there more in the pipeline? Yeah, there's always more in the pipeline. You know, the first thing to do is take a half step back and recognize that breast cancer by itself is many different diseases. And so the old school way of three decades ago, treating it like it's one disease has kind of fallen off the wayside. So when we think about breast cancer, we think about kind of three big buckets, one of which is what we call estrogen receptor positive disease. These are the breast cancers that respond to hormone therapy, i.e. we're attacking the estrogen receptor in those cancer cells. Another one is called HER2 positive disease, which is a different receptor called HER2, and we've had now for several decades really effective therapies against HER2, so much so that what used to be the worst type of breast cancer, HER2 positive disease, has now become the best. And there probably are, you know, the exception of the rule for curing metastatic disease are probably going to be in that subgroup because I'm convinced we do have some patients who are cured of metastatic HER2 positive breast cancer. And then the last disease is what we call the so-called triple negative breast cancer. I failed to uh, mention when we think about estrogen receptor, we call it really hormone receptor because it can either be estrogen or progesterone receptor positive. 
And so those three receptors define the groups clinically currently. And so if you don't have any of those, that's what we call triple negative breast cancer. And those up until this year really only had chemotherapy as a standard approved kind of vetted through clinical trials options. So getting to your question, one of the bigger splashes in treating metastatic triple negative breast cancer has been a drug called, um, believe it or not, it's called Sacatuzumab. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember what its uh, other name is. Now I kind of remember like Sacatumi. But this is a, what we call an antibody or a protein therapy that has like a, a linker to it and will destroy the cancer cells and it recognizes a, a cell surface protein. I don't want to get too into the weeds, but it recognizes a molecule that's preferentially on these breast cancer cells. So that really is one of the newest kind of greatest therapies that we have for triple negative breast cancers. Last year, we had immunotherapies for a subset of those triple negative breast cancers. So we've made some progress from just five years ago where all we had was chemotherapy for that group in the metastatic setting. And now we have a couple of other options. In terms of um, estrogen or hormone receptor positive breast cancers, we have all these drugs that we now call, and again, you don't have to know the, the full name, but the class of drug is called CDK4 slash six inhibitors. Again, not important to know the names, but these are drugs that have really made a remarkable impact in metastatic disease. Mm. Um, so much so that, you know, they're extending the lives of breast cancer patients a lot longer than we ever had wow. prior to that. And then in the space of HER2 positive disease, even though that's now become a much more favorable prognostic kind of breast cancer, as I said earlier, there are still patients who are going to recur. Um, and when they recur, they may blow through the first, second, and third lines of drugs that we have for them, even though they're highly effective drugs. So there are now two drugs that were just approved this year to address that. Hmm. Uh, one of them is a drug, again, I don't know who comes up with these names, and HER2. But this is a drug that's another antibody-based therapy, but it has chemo linked to it. So it's kind of a smart bomb that directs it to the HER2-positive breast cancer cells. And another one is a pill that will actually, for the first time, was tested in a real rigorous manner to see whether or not it could effectively treat patients who have brain metastasis from their HER2-positive breast cancer. That's kind of become an unmet need as we push the needle forward with all of our new therapies, most of them are what we call antibodies or big proteins. And so those don't cross into the brain. And so the brain becomes a sanctuary site. So we used to never see this when HER2 positive disease was a bad actor. Now with these antibody therapies, patients are doing really well and they're living longer. But if they happen to have a breast cancer cell in their brain that didn't get touched because the antibodies don't cross there, that has become the new unmet need. And so this is one of the first trials that addressed that with a pill that can go into the brain and show pretty decent effectiveness. So now we even have an option for brain metastatic disease in the HER2 positive space. Wow. These are some examples, there are even more. And so when you really think about how do we get there, it's always about research. Yeah. We have to first understand what makes breast cancers breast cancer, what makes them tick, so to speak. And we have to then figure out how do we exploit that knowledge for therapeutic vulnerabilities, as we say, and develop drugs towards that. Mm, yeah. Obviously, the therapies are really developing quickly. In your mind, what's the biggest current hurdle to developing new MBC therapies? So I wear both a clinical hat and a laboratory research hat. And I will tell you, they're different for both. I think in the research realm, I'm going to take that back. It's really just lack of money for both. Mm, okay. <laughs> because in the That's research fair. realm, we need more money to push forward new research 
put forward new ideas and innovative ways to think about breast cancer in terms of how we study it and approach it uh, from a therapeutic angle. And from the clinical standpoint, it just costs a boatload of money to do clinical research. You know, regulatory things you have to worry about, people, infrastructure. So it really is one thing, and it's, it's always about funding and money. And, you know, that's what Komen does and the Metastatic you know, Breast Cancer Alliance does to get together is their advocacy groups as well as foundations and philanthropic support to try to bridge that gap where funding from the NCI has always been really tight for the entirety of my career. Um, and hasn't gotten any better. And I think without those types of philanthropic and foundational supports and, and advocacy, there's no way we would be where we are today in terms of our, our breast cancer therapies. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's why we're doing what we're doing. That's why we're yeah. talking about it. Yeah, that's great. Putting on your, your lab hat, I guess, your lab yeah. coat. Uh, is there anything happening in the lab now that you think will be a game changer for NBC patients 10 years from now. Yeah, you know, there's a lot going on in the lab right now. Do you mean mine specifically or just in, in general? I mean, what, whatever one you're excited about. <laughs> well, I'm a little bit biased to our own studies. Uh, one of the things that we've been really a champion of and, and started initial work in about 10 years ago is this concept of what we call liquid biopsy. And what this means is, and it's different for different people. Some people view liquid biopsy, meaning that you can draw a tube of blood from a cancer patient and pluck out cancer cells. And there's great research behind that utility. There's some limitations to every liquid biopsy, including the one I'm gonna describe, but that's still something that people are very interested and invested in. What we did many years ago now was to look and see if we could actually pull out what we call free-floating or cell-free tumor DNA. And so it's been well-recognized now for decades that all of the cells in our body shed naked free-floating DNA into the bloodstream. We don't know why this occurs and if it's functional. I personally just think it's cellular waste or cellular poop, um, and then it just gets excreted out into the urine. But cancer is a disease of DNA gone bad, and there are mistakes, what we call mutations there. So they're the Achilles heel because we can target those mistakes sometimes with drugs, but they're also good for diagnostic purposes because they stick out like a sore thumb from the rest of the normal cellular DNA. Mm. So that's the premise of what we're doing. But the challenge is, even though we've known about this for decades, technology didn't exist that we could pull out just the cancer DNA molecules and say, oh, you've got cancer and I can mm -hmm. see it now in your blood. Right. We now have technology to do that. And that's where the field is moving now. How do we incorporate this into our clinical decision making? As an example, we're going to start a trial where we're going to look to see if we can measure tumor DNA in the blood, whether it's going up or down in response to therapy. Currently, what we do for metastatic disease is we take our best guess and we may wait three months later and see by a CAT scan whether our best guess worked or not. Because mm -hmm. it takes that long to see. But wouldn't it be great if you could take a blood test a week or two later after starting your new chemotherapy or new heart HER2 therapy or whatever, and then say, hey, it's not working. Let's change therapy now and not wait three months from now, but it's yeah. just going to get bigger. And so that's kind of one way that we're thinking about using these tests in our lab that we developed in our lab and now commercialized by many to see if we can actually afford a better outcome for patients. Man, that sounds amazing. I mean, that, that is some, some stuff to be really, really excited about. So then kind of a, where do you think we'll see the most advancement in NBC therapy over the next 10 years? I guess what I mean by that is like, in, in terms of like brain metastasis or lungs or liver, like 
where do you think we'll see the most improvements over the next 10 years? Oh, geez. You know, I got to tell you, I think it's going to be all of the above <laughs> because no one area of breast cancer, I think, is more deserving than the other. I think mm. we all view breast cancer as a disease or many diseases that we still have to cure it. Yeah. And so when you think about what I was saying earlier, we don't really have cures for the vast, vast majority of metastatic breast cancer patients. Then we have to figure out, roll up our sleeves and figure out cures for all of them. Mm. And so just in the past two to three years, I gave you some of those examples for hormone receptor positive disease. We have the CDK4-6 inhibitors for triple negative disease. We have immunotherapy now and sacatuzumab. And for uh, HER2 positive disease, we have two more drugs that just got approved. I think that is still going to happen where we're going to push the envelope on all fronts because uh, we have to. Um, there, there's really no doubt in my mind that we have to cure all breast cancers, not just one. Mm, that's fair. That's fair. So Ben, uh, this has been amazing. Last question for individuals living with NBC. Is there any advice that you can give them or any hope that you can share with them? Yeah, I still think because of the incurable nature of most NBC, what I advocate for is always getting a second and maybe third opinion because nowadays, and this is one of my big efforts and what got me here. I was telling you earlier, one of the reasons I got here, Precision oncology is something I'm directing here at our Vanderbilt Ingram Cancer Center. And by that, I mean that we can take these liquid biopsies. We can also take tumor tissue biopsies from the cancer itself. We can even take DNA from normal cells because now we know if you have, for example, a BRCA1 or BRCA2 gene like Angela Jolie does, if you have cancer, you can get special pills that will affect positive therapeutic changes just for those types of cancers right now. So the field is changing fast. What hasn't changed fast enough is getting that information out in the community. So get a second or third opinion, get your tumor biopsied if you have metastatic disease. Let's take a look under the hood and see if we have really effective drugs against what's, what's in there. Mm, I love that. That's some great advice. Well, Ben, this has been great. Thank you for breaking this down in a way that, that made it easy to understand and uh, for shedding some light on all the amazing research that's happening around NBC. Thank you so much, Adam. It's a pleasure. Support for NBC Week is brought to you by our partners, Eli Lilly and Merck. Thank you for joining us on this special episode of Real Pink, focused on metastatic breast cancer. You can help the metastatic breast cancer community today by donating to Breakthrough Research by visiting komen.org forward slash donate. You can also contact your local lawmakers by texting MBC to 40649.